Well, happy Saturday, everybody. If you're listening on a Saturday, happy Sunday. If it's Sunday, happy wherever you are, whatever day it is. Uh, I'm Paul Carruthers, and this is Off Track with Paul Carruthers and Sean Weiss. Uh, I'm in California, Southern California, and the rain stopped, and it looks like it's going to be a nice weekend out here. My counterpart in this uh, endeavor is Sean Weiss. Sean is in Ohio, uh, and I don't believe, uh, I, I think you're having some snow issues there. I saw this morning uh, you, you texted me, and, and you're chasing bats out of your house. If, if that <laughs> happened here, we'd have to sell the house and you know explain why, and nobody wanted to buy it because it, it would be haunted with bats. But is that like a normal thing back there to just have a bat sitting on your wall? You know, it's it's not normal for most people, but we have a pretty old house. It was built in 1833 and it's brick. So there are nooks and crannies that bats can sometimes get in in the wintertime. We we occasionally deal with it. But yeah, all of a sudden last night I had all the lights off in our kitchen, which our kitchen has a vaulted ceiling. So the rest of our house has pretty low ceilings. But all of a sudden I felt this breeze go by my head and I was like, oh, shit. So so anyway, um, the thing landed on our brick wall and it kind of clung there for a while. So I got a yardstick and I thought I could kind of get it to go on the yardstick and take it outside. Well, it ended up kind of crawling sideways and went behind this big giant clock we have on the wall. And it's been there since five o'clock yesterday. So so it could come out at any time because I'm sitting right here in the kitchen looking at that clock and just wondering when the thing is going to emerge. So, so See, you, your house, your house was built in 1833. Yeah, it's one of the oldest houses in this village we live in here. Yeah, it's it's so been, it's been a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. We finally we finally paid off the mortgage the other day. It was good. It's not oh, bad to have that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a nice thing to have behind you, and it makes it okay that you got to chase a bat around with a yardstick. That's another thing I don't honestly own is a yardstick. Why do you have a yardstick? To, you mean like a three foot long, like a three foot long piece of wood that you measure things with? Oh, absolutely. It says Home Depot on it, and it's perfect for coaxing bats out of your house, if if not to measure three feet increments. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. And if the bat's bigger than three feet, you probably run. Yeah, if it's that, it better be somebody that, you know, you has a, a sidekick named Robin in there solving crimes because I never want to right. see a bat that big. So... <laughs> So what do yeah. you what do you got for me today? I, I, well, there's got to be a story or there's got to be something to uh, to ease us into this podcast today. Well, I'm going to give I'm going to do a little uh, a little quiz. Name that writer. And there is a reason why I'm going to do this uh, relates to our guest. But let's let's start off with it. I'm going to give you a number of clues that are progressively easier. The final one, I'll just name who the writer is, but I'll, I'll bet you get it pretty quickly. But um, so are you ready to play? I guess. Okay, Paul, here's the first clue for you. This writer uh, originally came, was born in Northampton, New Hampshire. Okay. All right. He what is a uh, former super sport champion. Mm-hmm. Giacomo Agostini. Just... <laughs> <laughs> that would have been... That would have been some town called New Hampshire in Italy, I think. Oh, okay. Right. Bergamo, Bergamo, I thought was in New Hampshire. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, see, I didn't even know where he's from. That's pretty good. I should ask you about where Giacomo, Giacomo Agostini was born. All right. The third clue is he actually, he won the Daytona 200. I'm not going to tell you the year. Um, New Hampshire, Daytona 200. 
Super Sport champion. Super Sport champion. Oh, so it's relatively fresh then. I'm I'm thinking too many years ago. I guess. Not Super no. It's uh, I'll tell you. It hasn't been. It's been a number of years actually. Uh, huh. Okay. His his nickname has only three letters in it. Oh, Dave Sadowski. There you go. You got it. Okay. <laughs> and that nice job. So um, so yeah, the North he. Quick little story about about David. He grew up in Northampton, New Hampshire, and he used to race hell and ride motorcycles on the streets all the time. And the cops up there said stopped him enough times that they said, hey, if you're going to do this, why don't you go race? And he said, well, where do I do that? And he didn't know anything about Briar Motorsports Park, which became New Hampshire International Speedway, which became, I think, New Hampshire Motor Speedway or something now. But we all know about Loudoun, and, uh, which isn't too far from where he grew up, and that's where he... He uh, made his bones in racing. And the guest that we have tonight, who you're going to introduce, is not originally from New Hampshire, although he might be originally from Hampshire. I don't know. We'll find out. But uh, he recently moved from a, a very much warmer part of the country to New Hampshire, and he's becoming acclimated to New England now. So I'll let you go ahead and introduce the, the, this uh, guest tonight. Well, this guest is, it's, it's funny because I don't, I don't know him very well. Um, all I know is he's a friendly kid and I see him in the paddock all the time. And he, I, I don't think I've ever seen him without a smile, even at some point, I think it was, I think it was last year when, you know, half of his finger was missing and um, <laughs> somehow he's still able to smile through that. Um, he competes in our Superbike class. Uh, he finished seventh in 2017 in our Superstock 1000 class and in 2018 uh, raced Superbike. Uh, he he finished his best finish last year was ninth and he ended up 13th in the Superbike championship. He takes part in what is truly a privateer team. I mean, when you walk past his pit, they've got the trailer, they've got the girlfriend, they've got the cooler, they've got the dad, they've got some friends, and that's how they go motorcycle racing. And they've elected to do so in the hardest class in our series, which I can't wait to ask him why he's made that decision. I don't know if he <laughs> if he just likes riding thousands or if he just likes, you know, taking a high dive into the deepest part of the pool. But we will find that out. And our guest is Max Flinders. So, Max, welcome to the show. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. And it's nice to have you. Thank you for inviting me to come on. It's been nice talking to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's start with let's start with a few things. For starters, um, we'll go back to the early days, but let's start with now. And and my original question is, why? Wh what is it that makes you decide that you're not going to race a twin, and you're not going to race super sport, and you're not going to race stock thousand? You're going to race a damn superbike. And <laughs> what is it that what is it that that I hate to see say causes you to do that? But what is it that makes you think that that's what you want to do? Well, I thought it was a crazy idea to start, but um, when I started racing, it was AMA until it turned into Motor America, and I was on a 600, and I was racing and racing and trying to do my best. I kept getting better, getting better, getting better, but we were done. We didn't have any money. We didn't have anything left, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I need a sponsor, and uh, that's when Tim Ivanoff came around, and uh, he came and said, hey... uh." we're looking for a rider for the Harley cup next year. Would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Like I need a ride. That'd be awesome. And then the next year they got rid of the Harley cup. And I was like, Oh, 
Dang. So they sat <laughs> there and they were that. like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they sat there and they're like, we still want to race an American bike. So let's look for an American bike. And the only bike out there was the EBR. And they're like, do you want to race a thousands? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like if I'm on a bike on the track, I'm going to be happy. So let's jump on it. So we got on the EBR and started racing and I, we jumped straight into the Superstock class. And I was with the riders that had great names and like all this history. And I was like, the youngest one out there and i was like i feel a little out of place but i just i loved it i i love the power i love the speed i love the people i'm racing with because i know like when i see those guys come past me it i'm still in awe i'm like i'm doing what they're doing but i still watching them just like blows my mind so now i've been on one for two years and maybe three now and uh I I don't think I'll ever get off of it. I don't, I don't want to go back to the slower classes because every time I get on my R6 now, I'm like, where's the power? Like, come on, let's go. Like, it's just not the same. When and how did you switch from an EBR to you have an R1 and you've had it for a couple of years, Max? Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, we had the first race. Actually, it was the first year of America were here and I did the first lap at Coda for the first ever thing ever. And um, I, it was really, really cool. and. I had a lot of followers because the EBR's American bike, all the American Harley riders, EBR riders were like, let's go, let's support this guy. And I loved it. It was awesome. And um, that weekend, EBR announced that they were shutting down, done, business over, all the parts have stopped being produced, everything. And we had that awful weather that weekend for the race. I was in the race and I was doing good. I was climbing. I think I got up to like sixth or maybe fifth. And uh, I just passed Elena Myers and I went into a corner and I high sided to the moon. It was like 110 miles an hour, destroyed the bike and everything. And we were like, so there's no parts for this bike and we just destroyed it. So how are we going to do this? So we, we we were done. We missed the next round at Atlanta and we were like, oh, well, we need to do something fast. And that's when the Yamaha R1 came out and that thing was the best at the time. It it was destroying. I think Yamaha won every single race that year. It was insane. So it was just a natural reaction to go to Yamaha, get on it, and get back on the track. So that's how we ended up switching to Yamaha. So when you high-sided, is that when Thrashed Bike Racing got its name? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, t- uh, our owner, Tim, has always been Thrashed Bike Racing because – Oh, he okay. he is he has held things together with duct tape a lot and our our equipment's not the prettiest but it it will work cuz we're engineers <laughs> so we'll make it work on the track That's uh, cool. <laughs> why 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 and, and it's kind of cool because it's become like easily recognizable. Um when we think of Max Blenders, we think of that yellow bike is that was that done on purpose or was that kind of a carryover from the EBR? Um, it actually no. That goes back to Tim. Also, uh, he he works at a helicopter company called Arrow uh, Aviation uh, in Lafayette, Louisiana, and uh, he actually uses the leftover paint from the helicopters, and most of the helicopters they paint is yellow. So he uses the leftover paint from the helicopters to paint all my body work. He's like, hey, you still got some paint in that gun? Hey, can you do some body work for me real quick? So 
um, he just loves the yellow color and that's what he stuck with. And he likes it because he's like, hey, I never miss you on the track. If you're coming down, <laughs> I can see you and it's easy. And he's like, I don't want to be like all these other guys. Let's stand out. And I'm like, I love it. So I love how it is. It's bright and happy. And I think I've tried to put a lot of people uh, smiles on people's faces while I'm out there. I think it works. So. <laughs> You know, it's funny too. Um, not only are you recognizable for the color of the bike, but you guys are recognizable for Tim. I mean, he looks oh. like a Harley guy. <laughs> it's it's so funny with the beard and all that. You know, he could oh. be in ZZ Top. <laughs> yeah, that that Tim is. He's definitely got a look to him, and like you can see him a mile away walking. He's always got tools in his hands. Got the long mustache that comes down. Like you know, it's him, and like everyone in the paddock loves him. So they always like, hey Tim, hey Tim, hey Tim, like. People have told me so many things. Like someone said he looked like Dr. Seuss. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was just <laughs> laughing really hard. And like, it's, it's crazy. So, Why do you have the number 88, Max? Is there a reason for that? Um, yeah. When I raced in England, uh, I raced the number eight. Me and my dad picked it when I was young. I think I was like six years old and I started racing. And when I was racing there, I just eight was my number. I won three championships with the number eight. And I was like, this is awesome. Wow. I, this is my lucky number. So when I came here, I started racing with a uh, USGPRU and I was like, all right, I need a number. And I'm like, eight, of course. Like, and they're like, nope, you can't have it. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what about, what about 88? And they're like, no, I'm like, okay, eight, eight, eight. And they're like, yeah, you can have that one. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll take it. So after that, we stuck with eight, eight, eight for a long time. Then last year they said you can't have three digits so i was like oh ah, okay we'll just take one of them off it's fine so we just always stuck with that number and a lot of people are saying like it's a really good number it's really lucky and like i like that if i crash the number looks the same upside down as it does like <laughs> forward so it's like it's pretty good <laughs> yeah it's like it's like nikki's number 69 which you know the earl the, the story is of course many people know the earl had that number because it's the same upside down or right side up. And you got the same thing going with 88. Exactly. So that's a good job. <laughs> good um, and, and you got to, you got to tell us also, uh, so people know why your name is Max. That's an interesting story too. So my dad is motorcycle crazy. Like he has been watching, working, anything to do with motorcycles. He's on it. And he was watching MotoGP back in the day, back when like Valentino Rossi, uh, Alex Crivier, Max Biaggi were racing. And like, it was, it was the hype. Like he, he loved it. So, um, when my sister was born, Alex Crivier, uh, won the championship. So she, her name was Alex. And <laughs> when I was born, Max Biaggi won the 250 GP championship. So instantly my name was Max. So he, everything about my dad is about motorbikes, even his children. So he's just That's a complete awesome. bike nut. Does he ride? Um, yeah, he, he used to ride a lot, um, but his parents would never give him permission to go race on a circuit or professionally. So he did all the racing that didn't require. He did a lot of four-wheeler racing and uh, like um, beach racing and endurances. And he did everything you could do without, but for uh, uh the road racing he needed permission he could just never get into it because his parents thought he was going to kill himself so um now as soon as i was born he never really pushed it on me he kind of just let me like get into it and then i was hooked just like he was and now it's just a father-son team and i mean hopefully we can go go the distance you know that's so cool well, let's 
let's now we've gone backwards a little bit. So let's go. Let's stay there. Um, you 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 were born and raised in England. Um, I think you've been here what ten years. Um, what did you you started out? Uh, you raced some motocross over there. Is that is that how this thing got started? Um, actually, no. Uh, we did a grass track, which not many people know oh, okay. of, but it's it's like flat track just on grass. And uh, I started more of a speedway I, type bike too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but they had a bunch okay. of different ones. They had speedways with knobbly tires, like really strong ones. Then they had dirt bikes. They had all kinds of one. I rode nearly every single one of them. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, when I was three and a half, I got on a PVW. And uh, I started riding in a field and with my dad just training me and go here, stop, go here, stop, do a figure eight, do an oval, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was having a blast. And then we went to a race and I was still on my PVW. And then we showed up and everyone had like 50 KTMs and like all these crazy Italian 50cc bikes that were just like insane. And like I was getting lapped, but I was smiling so big. I actually had a huge, <laughs> I actually had a huge wreck. I pretty much did a front flip on the bike because the wheel was too small and it got stuck in a hole and I just flipped and I, it oh, hurt man. and I was, I was crying and I was like, I was only six and I was like all over the place. My mom's like, he's never doing it again. And the next day <laughs> we had another race and I was up at like 5 a.m. saying, are we going or what? Like, <laughs> so we just kept going with there. So I was racing a 65 cc uh kawasaki um and i won a championship on it and then i raced an 85 um cc kawasaki and i was in a class kind of like i'm in now i was the youngest one in it i was 14 when everyone else was no i was i should know i was eight and they were all like 14 15 and i was beating all the 14 and 15 year olds and they kind of got mad about it but i won three championships in two years and uh kawasaki was like I was the only person to win on a Kawasaki that year. So they used me as their presentation and stuff. Like it was amazing. I loved it. And then when we moved here, I had the grass track kind of background. We came to flat track and uh, I actually showed up at the track with knobbly tires because we had no idea what we we're doing. So everyone was kind of laughing at me like, what is that? Like, what are you doing? And I was actually with uh, Nick McFadden and uh, Jake Lewis uh, the first time I met those guys. And uh I started flat tracking and I think I got third on my first uh, race and I was, I was pumped. I was like, this is just like grass track, just a little slippier. So I, we kept going with that, but then we realized with the cost of traveling and everything, we might as well get into road racing because it's about the same. America's so big. You're driving 10, 12 hours to get to a race and uh, road racing was the ultimate goal. So why not start now? So we jumped into USGPRU on the Marawaki when that first came out. And that bike is a heck of a thing. And I raced with them. I won, I think, three more championships there. And then I outgrew it, jumped on the 600, went to AMA, changed onto an EVR. And now I'm in the super, super bike class with Tony Elias and Cameron Bovier. And I'm racing with the Top Gun. So it's it's been a journey, but it's it's been amazing. <laughs> You're still only like 24, right? Actually, younger than that. I just turned 22 in November. Oh, uh, wow. You're a baby. The fact that I, I know your dad's a huge fan of the Isle of Man TT. Um, yes. Has <laughs> he, he ever suggested you go do that? Or is it just because, well, I guess that's a way of actually finding out if your dad loves you. Because if he loves you, he's not going to want you to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. No, 
he has he has put his foot down very hard about me never wanting to go there. Um, I've no, actually really. had two offers to go race there. One on a sidecar as a monkey because I was practicing as a monkey and barber for fun. And this guy said I was really good at it and he wanted to take me to TT. And my dad just said no. And I was like, wow. okay, that's what gets fine. And then other than that, um, I've, I've watched those guys. Those guys have a different brain. Like going an average of like 170 miles an hour on a street and there's curbs and trees around. It's like, no, thank you. I've crashed a couple, well, too many times and I don't want to hit anything because that hurts. So yeah. um, I want to do what Valentino Rossi did, how he just went there when he was on the uh, racing for Ducati and he just rode a Ducati around waving at people. I'm fine to do that. That's, <laughs> that's my plan. <laughs> Parade lap. Yeah. yeah. So Max, tell us about what brought you to the U.S. and talk about your dad a little bit. It's pretty interesting. Not too many dads have a career like uh, your dad has had, except for Paul. Paul's dad had a career similar, I guess, in in it being at the sharp end of the stick in something. So tell us about it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and he has he has that Isle of Man brain. So you got to watch him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, my my dad's an aeronautical engineer, and I mean he is the smartest man I've ever met. Like he is unbelievably smart like you could break anything he could it could be in a different language from somewhere and he's never seen it before and he can fix it in less than five minutes um he worked at a garage for a while and everyone called him the the magic man because like no one could fix it they give it to him and he'd fix it and it's like no one understood (laughs) he's insane so he's done aeronautical engineering for a long time he's worked his way up he he knows that he's the biggest smart ass i think i've ever met and um when i was younger he was teaching me everything working on bikes and everything and i was having a good time just learning and working on stuff and one day he just came in and he said hey would you guys like to move to america and i was like what (laughs) and i was like okay what and he's like well in america you can road race when you're 12 and here you can't road race until you're 15 and I was like, well, that's a yes from me. And then he had to persuade my mom and dad, uh, not my mom and dad, my mom and sister a little bit. But um, we moved here because I could start racing on the street faster. And he got a job in uh, Mississippi and he didn't want to live in Mississippi. So we, we chose Louisiana because the schools were a little bit better. So we lived in Louisiana. We had a swamp right next to us. It was the climate change was ridiculous. It was so hot. It was like walking in soup every single day. And uh, we got we we moved here, and the same things were happening. My dad was working uh, for the same company, Rolls Royce, and uh, doing his thing. We were still working on the bikes, and then we just started going racing and having fun again. So it was it was a big move, but I I definitely think it was worth it. You know, Max, I misunderstood. I actually thought, so it was Rolls Royce. I was thinking he worked for NASA or had something to do with it. Wasn't there something with rockets with him? Yeah, yeah. Um, He worked at the NASA base. The Rolls Royce airplane facility was on the NASA base. So he was going to Stennis every day. And like he actually helped him out with some of the rocket engine stuff there, which is, I don't, I just, uh, he, he knows all about it. I don't know how, but he, like I said, he's one of the smartest men I've ever met. <laughs> Wow. And and now New Hampshire, tell us about how, how that happened. So um, my dad, unfortunately, lost his job at Rolls Royce because he had a butting heads with the manager. And uh, so he started working at uh, the garage that I was talking about before with uh, 
him fixing everything and he's like we need a job like i need a job because we need to keep racing and i was like i uh, yeah so i got a job i was working he was working at the garage and he was constantly looking for a new job and then he an offer up uh open for ge in new hampshire oh boston area um and uh he took it he moved up here and we were still in louisiana and then actually he says okay now i got a house up here you guys are coming so mom quit her job i quit my job i never even visited before and we moved up here and it it was just another crazy change going from England to Louisiana and then Louisiana to New Hampshire. I mean, I'm not small moves. I'm making huge moves. So, um, yeah. I'm up here now. I have two and a half feet of snow in my yard that I had to shovel the other day, which was awful. <laughs> so, um, it's just yeah, that's completely... definitely not like walking in soup anymore. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like struggling You'd to get like through the soup. snow <laughs> and my dogs are freaking out cause they were in, living in Louisiana their whole life. Now they're getting ice like all over them. They're like bouncing around like crazy. And it's, it's another big move, but I'm slowly getting more used to it. And I, like, again, I, I think it was worth it. So we're staying up here. I'm just wearing like three pairs of pants and eight pairs of socks and I'll get through it. <laughs> and somehow you managed to talk your girlfriend into going. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, whew, that was, uh, something <laughs> it was, um, she's lived in Louisiana her whole life. And, uh, her family's there, all of them are, and I we were we've been dating like seven months at that time, and I was like, hey, look, I'm going to New Hampshire. Uh, I'd love you to come with me, uh, but if you don't want to, it's fine. And she she was all over the place. She was up, down, left, right, like she was just constantly thinking, like. And then she's just. I was like, look, it'll be a completely different change. We'll be up north. It'll be a completely different scenery. It's like. It's new. I was like, if you hate it, I'll fly you back. And she said, yeah. The hardest part was convincing her parents. That was, whoo, that was uh, a long conversation at the dinner table. And then when they finally gave her the okay, we just came here and she now loves it. She's got a job up here. She loves playing in the snow. We go skiing and snowboarding on the weekends. I mean, it, it's it's completely different, but we love it. Now, did you, guys- did you have- did you have to get another job or did you talk your dad into the fact that you just needed to train full time for Moto America? Um, actually, uh, I got a job at a concrete place here and I work horrible hours. I worked from 2 to 1230 since November yeah. to now. And it was every day. The only reason I took it is because they paid really well and I worked really, really, really hard. But I finally got to quit um, actually today because I. Uh, I've been offered by Liquid Molly to come over to California for a while and train there. So pretty much I found out this like three weeks ago and I just worked and worked and worked, saved every penny I got. And I'm going to go fly to California and uh, go ride some desert over there, do some motocross, maybe go out to Chukwala and just like pretty much I'm going to work for them and live at one of the guys house and they're just going to help me out. And they're an amazing sponsor. So I've just been saving up my pennies for that. <laughs> well, I got to I got to hand it to you because um you're a man's man if you can get your girlfriend to move to Louisiana from Louisiana Absolutely. to New Hampshire and then you say, "Hey baby, I'm out of here. I'm going to California for a few months to ride motorcycles." <laughs> yeah, that that <laughs> so was I'm, my hat's I'm, off on that. 
I'm still in the doghouse for that one. That's not a good conversation. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to leave her in the snow and come. I was like, I get to go see the sun again. It's going to be awesome. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't um, rub it in. <laughs> no, hey, I'm not. Paul, you're going to totally laugh about this, but I'm going to ask Max this question now. Get ready for it. So, Max, which grocery store do you shop in there? Shop and save or market basket? I'm a market basket kind of guy. (laughs) (laughs) Paul, Paul, I lived lived for for, uh, 15 years, 10 miles away from where Max lives now. So (laughs) so you're... Are you familiar? Are you familiar with any grocery stores in California, Sean, or just are you just a back east connoisseur of all things food shopping? Oh, I I dig on I dig me some Safeway when I can get to one, but yeah, we don't Safeway. have that. <laughs> well, my mine's actually a Ralph's. Oh yeah, Ralph's is nice. <laughs> yeah, and and if I can afford it, I'll go to uh, Whole Foods, which oh yeah, we have that. That's also that's nicknamed little... Whole, Whole Paycheck. Oh, tell me about it. That thing's a little pricey. <laughs> I don't know if they have. Do they even have one anywhere in New Hampshire? They might have one in Manchester. I don't know, but uh, I'm, probably isn't anywhere. I think I did I see a whole, whole Foods near Manchester. I think there's one, yeah. but yeah, I'm a market basket boy, and I'll stay that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so the other thing, I, so you said your dad works in, in Boston for GE. Is he still involved in aeronautics for GE? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's um still he's actually switched over to more like the uh aviation kind of side now. He works more with helicopters and stuff, but his job's pretty awesome. He tests the engines until they blow up and then he writes down why they blow up and then they go back to the factory and fix it. Wow. So, so wow. it's super cool. Like um he used to shoot uh frozen chickens into airplane engines to see if like it would damage the engine and if it blew up, he's like, mm, that's not good. You can't nah. wow. You write it down. And like he, then they find out why and they fix it. And then they send it back to the manufacturing. We're like, look, this is weak here. So pretty much he's just making airplanes safer and safer until like, I mean, they're really safe now, but they're just trying to get it down to a zero fault. Right. It's not really, wow. that's not really fair though, because how often do you hit a, you hit a frozen chicken? You usually <laughs> like thaw it out. I, I, so that, I, that might be asking a bit much. <laughs> I completely agree, but it's better to go beyond, you know, so true. <laughs> it, it, he showed me a video of it, though. It looked kind of cool. They have a giant cannon and they just shoot a frozen chicken. And it just goes Psh! and that's about it. It's it's a pretty interesting part of his job. <laughs> you guys have probably seen this in the past couple of days. There's been some reports about drones hitting planes, which is that that can do some damage, too. Have you seen anything with that, Max? Um, I saw one go right through a wing. They showed it. They were t- they were basically shot one at a at a wing of a plane and a drone but will go right through a wing so that's crazy that's worse that's than a frozen cool. chicken yeah that is worse than a frozen chicken <laughs> i i did see something about that on the news but i'm not sure if they're testing for drones yet they'll probably come soon though probably just start throwing jo- uh, drones and engines and seeing how that goes it's a little more expensive <laughs> than frozen chicken though yeah tell me about it <laughs> Oh man. What what do you think of the fact that when let's just say you go into a store and you you buy something that is let's say Walmart has this pricing structure where something would be like something 97. So I'll say you go into the store and you buy something that's a dollar and 97 cents and you happen to have 2 dollars in your pocket and you hand it to them and they you give you back you 3 cents. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's well, amazing. No sales I, tax, right? 
I yeah. love that. I love going to stores because, like, you never have to calculate anything. Like, you know, I went into a store in Louisiana when I first moved here because in England it's the same way. Like, what you see is what you get. And I was like, Oh, I didn't right. know that. Okay. Well, they do have taxes. There is taxes, but they add the tax onto the price anyway. So, like, it's already which like, is how it should be. It yeah. Is. Yeah. So. Like when I got here, I think I was in a gas station for the first time. I went to buy like three things. I was like, yeah, I added it up. And I was like, yeah, I can buy it. I get there. And it was like three more dollars than I thought. I was like, okay, wait, I know I didn't lose my math skills for overnight. Like what's going on? And like, now I'd straight back to that. I was like, I can afford this because I can do math. So it's, it's <laughs> I love it. It's so much better. <laughs> and no income tax either, but man, they get you on registration of cars up there. That's, oh, man. that's terrible. That, well, actually, the insurance on cars is way cheaper up here compared to Louisiana. Right. Like, mine was like $2,000 in Louisiana. Up here, it's like $400. i am like, this is awesome. Like, this is so much better. And like, But like, yeah, you have to register everything. I have to register my dirt bike. I have to register my dogs. I'm like, why do I have to register <laughs> my dogs? Like, what, what do they have to do with anything? Like, it's crazy. And like, it gets a little pricey with that. And you uh, know the state motto, right? Yeah. Live free or die. I love it. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's apparently the motto of the chickens, too. Hey, Max, when you first got involved, when you were at the test at Coda, and you talk about your dad being a huge fan, what was that like to have? I mean, Wayne Rainey oh, is the head of it. Was, what was that like? Don't, I, I'm telling you, uh, we have two racers up in our house. We have pictures of me, and then we have pictures of Wayne Rainey. Wayne Rainey is my dad's idol. Like, he's met a lot of racers. I mean, we met Kevin Schwantz. My dad loves Kevin Schwantz too, and I, I, I knew of him, but like not too much because I was young when he was racing. So you know how things just go in one ear and out the other. Now he's, I've watched videos of him and everything. He's amazing. But I was just talking to Kevin Schwantz like. Nothing was going on. Like, everything's cool. And my dad's drooling in the corner. Like, and I was like, what are you doing <laughs> over there? And he's like, no. But, like, when he saw Wayne Rainey for the first time, he he walked the opposite way because he knew he was going to make an idiot out of himself. He's like, I can't talk to him. Like, it's it's insane. So, like, every time Wayne Rainey talks to me or, like, comes near our pit, my dad's just, like, in awe. Like, he completely loses his mind like it's it's – I've never seen him like that. It's absolutely crazy. I'm still thinking about bringing this giant – picture of uh wayne to the track so he can sign it but if i touch it i'm scared my dad will like you know shoot me or something so i'm gonna have to sneak it one day <laughs> that's funny that's 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 kind of cool that you feel that way about him because uh yeah that's that's kind of neat and then it, it's weird how things work out where you're actually right racing in the series that the guy runs so it's cool exactly and like now i get to speak to my dad's idol and ask him questions about the track and he gives me tips on riding and it's like, it's one of the coolest things ever. Like it, I, I have no words really. It's just, it's amazing. When you cool. show up at these races, um, I, it's, it's gotta be difficult in a way because you know, your results and your expectations can't be that high. But what, what is it when you start those weekends? Do you, do, do you have a specific goal in mind? Like, are you like, Oh man, I got to get in the top seven or I got to get, or, or are you just sort of, seeing how things fall um we always start with a goal and the first goal is to qualify because with the top mm -hmm. you know the 110 percent rule like i know it it gives you like a five second gap but i mean we're racing against 
the I mean Tony Elias has been a Moto Two champion. He's 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 got a name and he's really really fast. And then Cameron Bobier has been racing all over with Red Bull rookies and everything. So I mean these guys have names and they're they're fast. So first thing is to qualify. Second thing is to look back into last year and see if we're doing better. Like I want to beat my time from last year. I want to do better. And then lastly is just I want to finish top seven or above. If I can finish top seven or above, I am happier than anything. But then that means I'm I'd have to be mixing with like Danny Eslick and Kyle Wyman and like all these guys. And like these guys are awesome. They all have names for themselves. And like everyone in our class is like they have a background and they they know they're they're fast so i i go out with high expectations like i mean i go out there like i'm gonna win like secretly in the back of my head i'm like you know second would be cool but i mean like i always go out there with like the attitude i want to win but if i do better than last year and i come in smiling and i had a good time like i mean my team's happy like they 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 obviously they want me to win but they just want us to qualify race do well, stay safe, come back. And like, that's our, that's our motto. I mean, we don't have the best equipment. We never did. Um, each year we do one big purchase that makes our bike a little bit better. Last year it was the race radiator and that made it uh, a little bit better that year. And then this year is the rear swing arm. And hopefully that will uh, improve us again, but we don't have all the best stuff. We don't like, we have some of the best riders in the world on the best machinery and i i'm a i'm an, another good rider on a thrash bike racing so i mean it's it's definitely difficult to set your hopes super high but we still go out there thinking we're gonna win it so you max you you don't have the big you don't have the big forks on your bike yet then huh no i honestly our bike is probably the closest to stock in the paddock besides the right. super stock bikes i mean some of the super stock bikes are even better than ours. And, uh, it's, it's, it, I mean, I'm, it, it's not going to hold me back. <laughs> no, that's cool. Is it a flashed uh, stock ECU as well? Um, yes, it is. It's just actually, tr- okay. uh, tuned by living good, uh, in Atlanta. Big shout out to him. Cause he's, he's amazing. So <laughs> oh, that's cool. Good. So did uh, was it, was there, was there improvement? in your lap times and stuff from 2017 to 2018, I realized you, you moved up in class, but it doesn't sound like the bike was much different than it was as a superstar. No, bike. So the, could you- the engine was tuned. Um, so we had a little bit more horsepower. I mean, every single track we were nearly, we were a second and a half faster. And that's just because uh-huh. of me learning more. Like it's my bike is very constant it's not like we're making like it's we change one thing and then everything's like wow that i can go six seconds faster it's like we're just guessing 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 but we had better suspension this year we were better set up but it was me learning more and just pushing myself harder um to like get better but yeah we i think i improved at nearly every single track beside coda because i didn't have a finger um uh <laughs> about one and a half seconds so we were happy this year what's your favorite track on the schedule what's my favorite track on the schedule Ooh, yeah that's a hard one um honestly i i love road america i don't, I don't know why mm-hmm. it's just it's a long track it has some flowing areas but like it's just so fast and like it it, <laughs> it has a lot going on I, the fans are awesome there and like we always get a really good turnout and like 
I have a I have a lot of fun there. But I mean, I think I enjoy every track because it's like if you hate it, then you go there with a negative mindset. It's like, oh, don't like this track. We're going there next week. Like, you know, you're not starting your weekend off good. So you just I love all of them, but Road America is really good. I think we should definitely go back to Nola Motorsports, though, because that track, <laughs> whew, I know that one like the back of my hand, and it's right near New Orleans, so it's party capital. <laughs> That's funny. What? Um, so I, I guess you'd be you'd be you'd be pretty happy with another second and a half getting chopped off on the in next year's races because that that would move you up considerably. Yeah, if I if I get do that, I mean, I'm about a second and a half off where I want to be. And if I get that, I'm going to be in the mix. I'm going to be battling with the big guys and I'm going to be pushing, learning from them. That's going to make me faster, like considerably. So if we can go out there with the changes we made on our bikes and uh, this year and get another second and a half, I mean, I'm going to be in the mix. And then you're going to see me fighting with a lot more people and try not to step on anyone's toes, but kind of making them mad a little bit, you know, because <laughs> no one um, likes it when the I big yellow bike passes you. <laughs> yeah that's true my my question is are they are, the, are those guys um i'm trying to think how to word this are they are they pretty nice to you or or do you every once in a while do, do you feel like you got in somebody's way and then they ride by and give you the finger i'm actually i'm pretty good at getting out the way i hate getting out the way it annoys me so bad like in some races I get, I I get lapped and like, I, I, I never want to ruin anyone's race. So I'm out of the way as fast as I can. Everyone in the pits, they're pretty nice to me. I mean, when you're racing, you normally talk to the people that are better or you talk to the people you've just raced with. And it's always like, duh, 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 duh. but I mean, so it's kind of hard to talk to everyone because they're like, I mean, I don't really want to talk to you. You're at the back, but, um, <laughs> uh i mean other than that everyone's super nice some people have said thank you for getting out the way i appreciate it and i'm like i hate it when people say that but i mean like no problem it's cool but i think i've gotten some people's way like once or twice but they come up to me and i'm like dude look i'm sorry i hope i didn't mess you up and they're like no it was fine just da -da -da. and then that's about it yeah usually <laughs> sorry fixes everything <laughs> Hey Max, yeah. I don't know if you have any insight into this or not, but I, you know, you've been you've been with the series for I guess essentially since the beginning of it and uh Moto America. And uh a couple of years ago in Superbike and Superstock 1000, there was a lot of talk about following. There was a lot of complaining about that. There was a lot of uh, bulletins coming out about, you know, what did they call it, touring on the course or anything. I didn't hear much of that if any of that this past year. Do you do you know why that changed? And, you know, what, what's your thought on that whole thing? Um, yeah, it was it kept popping up how people would just slow down on the track and they just wait for someone fast to come along or the fastest person on track at that time. And they just follow them. And it did mess a lot of people up. I mean, like we're out there riding as hard as we can. And all of a sudden we're going into a corner. This guy's going super slow. We're like, what? Get out the way. Like, what are you doing? And they could screw up our lap. But um, last year. It wasn't, no one was, uh, uh, there was still a lot of following. I mean, like, but with the qualifying tires and that qualifying session, um, you get two chances to go fast. And normally on that second pit stop, you can time it better. So you don't have to slow down on the track and try to get a fast lap. You just have to time your pit stop. So you can time your pit stop and then go out. If 
say uh, Matthew Schultz is just the fastest out there. You can go right behind him or like Josh Heron's the fastest. You go right behind him. So it kind of took away the slowing down on the track and trying to like get a fast lap. Um, so they just come in into the pits, wait for the guy they want to follow to go out and they just follow him out. There's no slowing down. And they also go slow on that first warm-up lap so they don't ruin their tire. So it's kind of eliminated it, and I didn't see it as much, but it it's definitely still happens. Okay. That's cool. Well, guys, we're gonna um we're gonna have to wrap this thing up. Um my my last question to to you is Max, um what what like I would like to be as happy as you, and I want to know if like there's any tip. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I I'm a pretty happy guy, and I try to be happy, but I I don't know on my best day that I'm as happy as you are on like a just a mediocre day. I don't know if it's your <laughs> diet. I don't know if you're smoking oh, something man. that I could probably no. buy in California now because it's legal. But you know, can you fill me in on how to gain the happiness? Maybe oh, I bet it's do you do yoga or do you meditate or what is it? Oh man, I honestly. I I don't know. I just I'm just a happy guy. I just wake up and if I'm at the racetrack, I'm happy because I'm not working. I'm around all these awesome people and like I had like the fans make me so happy. I have like a little girl came up to me and asked if she could put a sticker on my bike. And I was like, yeah, you can put a sticker on my bike. And she put a sticker on it and like she like nearly broke down because she was freaking out so much. And I'm like, that like it just fills me and like I don't know. I just I'm just a happy guy. I, I if I'm if I'm doing something that day, I'm going to be happy about it. Cause like, what's the point of being upset about it? You know, <laughs> good attitude. Yeah, well, that's, that's good. That's a good attitude. And, and keep that because, uh, it serves you well. And it's, it's nice to see your happy face around the paddock all the time. Um, <laughs> thank and, you. and Sean and I, Sean and I thank you for joining us on the show and, uh, good luck this year. We'll probably have you back on maybe for a mid season report or something to see if you're doing those lap times that you want. And, Perfect. uh, and make sure make sure you uh, you talk to Wayne Rainey as much as you can because I know he, he like he likes to help you guys and and sometimes I think he wishes he could help you more but you guys sometimes I can understand why but people get a little intimidated and don't want to go talk to him but he he yeah. does like to help so feel free to to grab him just don't mention Kevin Schwantz that probably won't help. <laughs> well, thank you guys for having me on I I really appreciate it I I love talking to you. Um, also, if anyone's listening in California that uh, want to do some motocross because all the, you know, the riders are over there, just hit me up, message me or whatever, because I'll be there for nearly a whole month. So I'd love to go ride with some guys and train. So other than that, I mean, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, well, thanks, just, be, Max. Just, be, just hope half of them aren't going to New Hampshire to be with your girlfriend. <laughs> oh man oh hitting me low it's, oh, no, it's too, it's too, cool. it's it's too, too cold, cold out there yeah, yeah there's no, no one, way no one wants yeah, to drive the, these cali boys can't handle the cold what no they can't nah, they, they, <laughs> they can't they, they, they'd freeze up and die well look thank you guys thanks sean and uh, thank it you was a lot of fun as, it was a lot of fun as always and and uh we'll talk again next week if you listen to our podcast, however you choose to listen to it, make sure you continue to do so. Make sure you like us. Tell us great reviews. Tell us how wonderful we are, and uh, and we'll keep doing it. So you two guys take care. Stay warm, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. Thanks, Bye. guys. Thank you. Bye.